Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning, Chapel family. I hope you're all doing well and uh, just finding God's grace in these challenging times. One of the reasons I believe God has called me to Westminster Chapel is to lower the IQ. There are so many clever people that we've met at Westminster Chapel, not least the actual leadership of the church. And I've so enjoyed, Heather and I have been enriched listening to uh, this series of In Daniel, uh, helping us to understand that sort of something of a historical perspective of people who have lived in hard times like Daniel did and found that victory is now here in those moments of crisis. But also now as we come towards the end of Daniel, looking with a bird's eye view right the way through what he is now going to do, look at like four or five hundred years of history and finding that God's hands are ruling and reigning over the nations. And I think when Howard asked me if I'd like to speak in this series, I was absolutely thrilled, hoping I'd get something like Daniel 2 uh, with the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar's rule ruling all the way down to Rome, or Daniel chapter 7 with the four beasts starting with Babylon and Persia, Greece, down to Rome. Uh, But Daniel chapter 11 is massive and Chuck Swindle said it is one of the most remarkable chapters in the whole of the Bible 45 verses can you imagine Lloyd-Jones how long it'd take to do 45 verses probably six months and I'm going to try and do this in half an hour so the challenge is how we how to apply this look at this and be able to help you in your post-lockdown phase. What are the lessons that Daniel was learning? What are the lessons God wants to apply to us? And I think this sermon you need to be a bit more scholarly with in terms of you'll have to read Daniel 11. We won't have time to read all of that. And actually, we'll also be referring right to the end of the Bible in another apocalyptic book of Revelation where it's looking even further ahead in order to help strengthen us for what we are doing here and now in London at this time. As I thought and as I prayed and as I panicked reading this and then reading commentaries, watching some videos on this uh, incredible chapter, God encouraged me to help you to look at this from a wide angle sort of point of view, to get out a wide angle lens and to look at this chapter through the lens of Acts chapter 4 verse 23 to 31 which is when Peter and John have come out of uh, being seized by the religious leaders for performing a miracle on the guy who was uh, standing there on the gate beautiful or, or, or sitting on the gate beautiful and they healed him this incredible miracle and then they've been seized they've been threatened do not carry on preaching go quiet go under the radar and they return to the church and share all that God was doing. And that passage of scripture that they then prayed uh, took up a 
long-term view into the past, uh, sort of it quotes Psalm 2, where the psalmist looked forward to the rule and reign, establishing God's king on Zion's hill, but also gave a wide-angle view of how God rules and reigns in history for the good of his people. And so this uh, talk this morning is called The Church is in Safe Hands. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. So the first thing I want you to see from Acts 4 and Daniel 11 is that we need to put our hands in the hand of God. Here come two disciples. They've been threatened, quietened down, hide away, don't go public. And as they share this with the church, what does it say? It says, in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in one in prayer and they said, Sovereign Lord. Daniel 11 follows on from Daniel 9, where it seems that Daniel is in this place. While I, Verse 21 of Daniel 9 says, while I was still in prayer. It seems that prayer continues in Daniel 9, 10, 11. He's in this place of intercession, in this place of being immersed in the presence of God where Gabriel comes and visits him. He sees visions of the future. Prayer isn't an optional extra. Prayer doesn't change a thing. It changes everything. We don't pray in the moment of crisis because, oh, now we need God to help us with our life. We, meanwhile, before that, we've been getting on quite okay. No, prayer changes everything. It changes us. It changes circumstances. It changes perspectives. It changes people's lives. It changes history. Prayer is eternal. It's not lost. The minute you pray in the name of Jesus by faith, it's not lost. God hasn't got a, 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 a time limit on it. It's not got a shelf life. Prayers are truly eternal. God has all eternity to answer the prayer of someone who's just driving off a cliff into eternity and praying, God save me. God isn't rushed. God has all the time in the world and what we need to do continually as believers is to put our hands in the hands of God in order to get that perspective from God and that peace from God. Jesus' disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. We know that life is meaningless and life seems random and life seems confusing unless we pray. And Jesus taught them to pray our Father and the Lord's Prayer, which is a wonderful thing to, for all of us as believers to do it as a daily discipline, just to reorientate our lives from orbiting around ourselves and seeing everything from ourselves perspective, everything in history, everything on the news. We're in the centre and it all orbits around us where prayer, we orbit around the sovereign God. They prayed sovereign Lord. You remember John on the Isle of Patmos. Before we come to the great revelation passages we're going to mention this morning, John was in the spirit. He was in a place of intercession. He was in a place of prayer. And in Revelation chapter 4, what John most needed to see in his moment of lockdown, in his moment of crisis, where he's asking, God, what are you playing at? With all of that's going wrong with, our, with the church and with history, 
In Revelation chapter 4, it says that John saw a throne in heaven and one seated upon it, someone sitting on it. See, prayer enables us to see these three vital things that John saw. First of all this, there is a throne in heaven. There is a director's chair. When we go to a theatre and we begin play one and we think, well, I'm not quite sure who's the hero, who's the baddie, where this is all going, it seems back to front. I'm, not, I'm a little bit confused. It's always reassuring to know there's a director's chair. There's one who is seated upon it. There is one who is controlling the outcome. That as various people take the stage of history and then depart again, there is an end game in view. We need to remember that, brothers and sisters, in the midst of difficulties that we go through, God is moving all history towards an incredible finale. The second thing to say is the one who is seated upon it is revealed as our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come in prayer before a throne in heaven and the one seated upon it looks at us with kindness and love because of his son Jesus Christ he sees us in Christ he sees us holy and pure and righteous because we've been clothed by in Christ and therefore we can it with confidence come before a throne of grace and ask and pray in the name of Jesus knowing that those prayers are not just heard but they are guaranteed heaven's answer and he is a good good father he gives us what we need not necessarily what we want. And thirdly, he is holy. Prayer is not coming before Almighty God and insisting that my will be done. It is coming before a holy God and, and falling at his feet as though dead as John did in, 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 in Revelation, as Daniel does, as we must do to kneel before a throne of grace and say for God's will to be done. Because God is much maligned, much misunderstood. Even Christians can feel like, well, I don't think God's being very fair. God is a good, good father. He's a holy, righteous God. He will deal with sin. And therefore, it's so important in prayer, we come before a holy God and we confess our sins, knowing that he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So prayer is putting our hand in the hand of God. That's our first lesson this morning. So point two is God has got the whole world in his hands. And a little illustration out in the garden just to help people who hate horrible histories. The White Tower represents the period, thousands of years of Egyptian rule, uh, going back three or 4,000 years. The Red Tower is um, Greece. Greece had many dynasties running all the way up through thousands of years and the yellow towel is the Roman period and what we need to understand just in terms of a history lesson is back here uh, is Abraham right at the beginning about 2,000 years BC Moses follows him 1,250 David a thousand years BC and what we're looking at in this period of history is from the destruction of the temple which is AD 500 uh, BC 586 up until the next few hundred years all of history is moving towards this point, the point of the incarnation, 
death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of history swings on the stable door of Bethlehem. And so Daniel is given this period of history and is focusing on this period of history and the kings that are going to rule and reign in order to make sure that this happens, that there is a temple, that there is a people and that the Messiah can come and that there is a language that then can go to the whole world post the resurrection. So we're back indoors, away from the horrible traffic noise. But I hope you enjoyed that little history lesson because point two is God has got the whole world in his hands. The church in Acts were encouraged to see, they said in verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. David prophesied and saw something of the future. Here in Daniel, Daniel is, is being shown what is going to happen over hundreds of years, things that he could never know, but that were revealed in terms of the plans, the sovereignty, the rule, the reign of God. It is quite incredible. In this short 35 verses, there are 135 prophecies that have literally historically come true. Mind-blowing. And time does not permit me today to focus and to tell the whole historical story. And that's why I think if you really love history and you love the Bible, it's great to read a commentary or two and, and just get into this. But let me just do one. And this is at the beginning of Daniel chapter 11, which you can follow. Daniel was set, told, now I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia and then a fourth. After Darius the third comes a fourth king called Xerxes. And when he has gained power by his wealth, he was the most wealthy of the Persian kings. He will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule, this is from Greece, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. This is Alexander the Great, King Alex, not from Madagascar, you've got to move it, move it, but actually one of the greatest conquerors of history, Alexander the Great. At the age of 33, he had conquered all his known world up to the borders of Afghanistan and over to the borders of India. And he complained at the age of 33, when sadly he died, that he had no more land or peoples to conquer. And it was this Alexander the Great who would come, empire after empire would fall, temple after temple would be destroyed. And it is this Alex, King Alexander the Great, who has a dream and sees a man in purple who is to be worshipped and revered. And when Alexander the Great arrives in Israel, as Howard told powerfully this story, the high priest dressed in purple came out to meet him. And amazingly, Alexander the Great didn't destroy the temple, didn't run off with all their wealth. Instead, he pays tribute and an act of worship to Yahweh, our king, to King Jesus. And this is remarkable history. This is remarkable that God says to Daniel before it all happened, this is what will happen. And what we need to see when we think about God having the whole world in his hands, when we think of our day to day, what lessons does God want to help us with? Firstly, behind the machinations of evil men, God is ruling and reigning for the good of his 
people. That when evil men come to the throne and their boasts and their greatness is revered and seen by all, we know that their time is very limited. All the way through Daniel 11, these kings of the south and north, their reign, when you look at history, was 10 years, 20 years, 30 years at most. They, they soon are gone. They are soon forgotten in the dust of time. But God's work, God's people, God's will endures. Secondly, that nothing surprises God. He knows the end from the beginning. He is sovereign and therefore he, we can be reassured that there is a good, pleasing and perfect will happening in our lives, even though we might not understand the circumstances in which we're going. The desire of Alexander the Great was to unify the whole world with a common language. And God used that desire so that when the gospel of Jesus Christ's resurrection and life is preached, this gospel could run and run through the entire world. And thirdly, most importantly of all, is that God watches over the beautiful land. God watches, it's mentioned in verse 16, God watches over Israel. God watches over his people all the way through history. So Daniel 11, we find, sorry, in Daniel, we find God watching over in the midst of huge persecution with Nebuchadnezzar, God watching over Daniel. Xerxes, who's mentioned here, Esther, the wicked Haman who wanted to destroy God's people and set to, set to work to, to do that. God watches over his people. He puts Esther in the palace. And you know that story. I think of the story of Corrie ten Boom in the Second World War, a Jew, Jewish watchmaker who, along with her family, was arrested and taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp uh, to face the ordeals of the Holocaust. And uh, in the midst of that huge trial, Corrie was fearful and timid and saying to her sister, Betsy, what, what's God doing? And Betsy wonderfully and wisely said to her, can you remember when we were children and we used to go on a journey and we would get on a train? Can you remember when dad gave us the railway ticket? He gave us the railway ticket only when we got on the train so we wouldn't lose it beforehand. God gives us grace for today. There is manna for today. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough cares of its own. Today, you, chapel member, seek first the kingdom of God today and his righteousness, knowing that God is for you. God is ruling and reigning and he is a good, good father. The third point in this lens, looking at the wide angle lens of history through Acts chapter 4, is in verse 27, the church prayed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appoint, anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God's grace and power was available to the early church. As it faced this backlash of persecution, what happened was grace and power came upon the early church. In the midst of 
seemingly evil days, there was grace, there was power, there was gospel expansion. And so if we turn back to Daniel chapter 11, and particularly now I've just focus on one other character in verse 21. Again, Howard's already referred to him and told much of his story. So my talk this morning will just repeat a little tiny bit of that history. It talks about a king who will succeed by a contemptible person who has not been given the honour of royalty, who invades the kingdom when its people feel secure, seizing it through intrigue and overwhelming armies being swept away. This is Antiochus Epiphanes. This is a type of Antichrist, uh, embodiment of a spiritual force that is at war against God and at war against God's people and exalting itself in a place of authority, feeling that it can thwart God's purposes. And Antiochus Epiphanes operates in the way I've just described in these verses, that his way of winning was to come and pretend peace. He would come to a nation and pretend he was on their side. He would let their, he, they would drop their guard and when they dropped their guard, he would just annihilate them. He would just wipe them from the face of the earth. And this horrible, contemptible person thought of himself as God and wiped out nation after nation. And his great desire was to wipe out the nation of Israel, to wipe the people of God off the face of the earth. And so he arrives at Jerusalem. He slaughters, uh, within a few days, he slaughters 80,000 people. It wasn't men. It was men, women and children. He just butchered them. And he goes to the temple, sets up an image of Zeus to be worshipped. And the abomination that causes desolation mentioned in Daniel chapter 31, they will set up the abomination that causes desolation, was he slaughtered. Instead of the lamb being slaughtered in terms of the prophetic promises of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb that was going to be slaughtered for the sins of the people in order to reconcile them to God. Antiochus Epiphanes slaughters a pig, an abomination to the Jews, a wickedness to defile the sanctuary, to defile the name of Yahweh, to, 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 to defile God's purposes and promises. But God's grace and his power is always at hand. And as the Jews were being slaughtered, many of them running away, it says here in verse 32, with flattery, Antiochus will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. The people that know their God. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants with great boldness. The people who know their God knows that there is grace and power in their time of crisis. There is grace and power for the people of God in Israel, in Jerusalem, under the boot of Antiochus, the king of Syria. They rebelled. They took to war. They went to war. It was amazing odds. There were 7,000 who gather around a, a guy called Mattathias. And he had his, the first people who gathered around him were his sons, his five sons, which I love. 
We want our sons to be the first ones to gather around our leadership and say, we're with you, Dad. And 7,000 brave soldiers gathered around him to take on 60,000 of Antiochus elite soldiers. And amazingly, they prevailed. They won. They overthrew the powerful force on them. And we know from history, we know from the Bible that this spirit of the Antichrist is at work through history. Revelation talks about how there are waves of history, waves of judgments, waves of disaster, waves of viruses and God's wrath being poured out upon the earth and, and leaders that, ar that arise with that spirit that is at war with God and at war with God's people. We think of Adolf Hitler, that same spirit in him that wanted to destroy the Jewish people, to wipe them from the face of the earth. And yet there was grace and power at hand so that that did not happen. Think of Stalin, think of Kim Jong-un, think of people today that are at war with the Church of Jesus Christ, persecuting, betraying, imprisoning, killing people all over the world today. And the people of God standing firm, knowing God and firmly resisting the enemy. God's grace is always at hand and his power is at hand for his people. So let me draw this short talk to an end by making a few comments from the book of Revelation. I titled this sermon, The Church is in Safe Hands. I want everyone at chapel to know we're, we're okay. We're in God's hands. God is for us. God is orchestrating history. God is working in the world today for our good and his glory. And God knows the future. He's ruling the future. And God is interested in our lives. He's interested in the minutiae of our, our life. The hairs on our heads are numbered. And history is moving forwards towards a great event. In Revelation chapter 17, we read of Babylon and the beast. Then we'll read a few verses from there. Religious and government, religion and government coming against the people of God. And it says in this incredible sort of passage of destruction when the inhabitants of the earth are uh, are, are, are following the beast, following this woman. It says that, that they will make war against the lamb, verse 14, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. We've been called, we've been chosen, we're his faithful followers, we're following the lamb and the lamb overcomes the lamb wins. And so whether we are work, working through difficulties at home, in post lockdown, whether we've been working through health issues, whether we're worried about our jobs and financial challenges, whether we're worried about how we're going to do church in the future, what will it look like? We need to be today reassured God is on the throne. That History is working towards a great finale. And that great finale is found in Revelation 19, 7, 10, when 
We see, a, first, of, first of all, a rider on a white horse returning. Jesus is coming back, that great, wonderful end of history, and that there will be a wedding supper. The church marries the, the bridegroom. The, the bride marries the bridegroom. We will be there on that final day. And we will all say this as we worship him and enjoy that incredible, rich feast and fellowship with God. It was worth it. Whatever our suffering However bad life became, as Mother Teresa said, it will all seem like a, a one night in a cheap hotel all of our life in comparison to the exuberant joy, the everlasting love, the wonders of wonders of being in God's presence. It will all seem like one night in a bad hotel. So let me encourage you practically this morning. Put your hand in the Father's hand. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's not, as we emerge out of lockdown, think, oh, well, we've done prayer. No, we haven't done prayer. We've just begun prayer. We're in the shallow end. Let's go deeper with God. Let's make sure uh, we, we're praying and seeking his face. Secondly, for everyone fearful of uh, Putin, of Boris, of, um, of governments that are at, at war, of Europe, of, of COVID, for everybody, every child who's, who's fearful, Put your hand in God's hand. We, we can't lose. There's grace and power for every one of us today. And thirdly, and finally, let us pray as they prayed with an expectation that for Westminster Chapel, verse 31 will be our experience in these coming years. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Lord, I pray today as people listen to this message, that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They will be filled with faith. Fear would be uh, disarmed as they put their hands in your loving hands. And Lord, that we would be able to preach the word of God boldly, that many, many more people would come to know this love of a sovereign God who rules the nations, who rules all history. Please, Father, pour out your spirit on our church. May we see wonders in the heavens and wonders on the earth as you move upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.